where does yesterday's future, which is already here, ready here, ready here, ready here, meet today's future, which is about to happen, and tomorrow's future, which could be just minutes away? Welcome to Technology Revolution, the future of now. Where host Bonnie D. Graham asks savvy futurists for their predictions about the tech-driven trends that are shaping our future right now. Here's your host who will take us into the future of now, Bonnie D. Graham. Thank you, Ryan Treasure, the voice who did the introduction. I'm Bonnie D. in the house if I got an exciting topic for you. But here we are live streaming on LinkedIn, Facebook, live broadcasting audio on Voice America Business Channel. My four esteemed panelists today, just for the heck of it, wave hello to all of our live viewing audiences. We have a whole bunch of people watching us on LinkedIn and they want to cheer you on. So we're talking today about a topic that is near and dear to me because I didn't know it was an issue when it was supposed to be an issue. The future of women in in tech. Is there a glass ceiling? If there is, heck yes. We got to smash it. We got to bash it. We got to trash it. We got to get rid of it. Been going on for years. But just a little quick background. I'm considered an early woman in tech. And when I was learning tech, I didn't have any idea what it was about. And my parents sent me a couple of brochures in the mail. This was pre-email, pre-cell phones. And I was looking for a quick profession. And I chose to study for two years to get two degrees after my bachelor's degree, magna cum laude, in computer science and computer operations. I had no idea what I was getting into. It tickled my brain. Every day was a wow, jump for joy. I'm creating something, blank page, tabula rasa, put the code in, solve the problem. I was in heaven. They hired me right out of those that school, and I was running a system two years later. I didn't know that women weren't welcome in tech because back in those days, half of my class were females. What can I tell you? So I learned later on that now there's a problem and let's get to the bottom of this. So now let me do my normal, the buzz introduction. I have a couple of interesting quotes. Buzz number one is from a website called huddle.eurostar software testing. That's a big URL. So here it is. There is such a thing as a glass ceiling. The metaphor describes the invisible barrier which prevents women from advancement in their profession. Do we have an unacknowledged barrier that is an obstacle for women in tech who are indeed skilled and experienced but can't get a promotion? That's the question on the table from them. Buzz number two is from codemotion.com. And the quote, and listen to this, the label women in tech seems redundant these days. I think it always has. How many women on the panel, raise your hand, would refer to themselves as I'm a female engineer? Would you ever say that, Lori or Debbie or Lisa or Kylie? No, No, of course not. Or you would say, I'm the company's female CTO, chief technology. Would you ever say that? Of course not. However, There exists a disparity in the pay scales and the ability to climb the career ladder between men and women working in the tech sector. But do these barriers represent an impenetrable glass ceiling for women workers when it comes to rising through the ranks? Well, that's what we're going to be talking about today and how it goes away. One more quote from the National Center for Women and Information Technology. Back in 2015, oh my, that was eight years ago, they said women held only one quarter of computing jobs, even though they made up a half of the total workforce. Statistics remained unsurprising and slow to change. What is surprising, they found, and this is from, uh, yes, this is from an article in Data Center Dynamics, the tangible business impact a lack of diversity has on those companies. You'd think they would have figured that out. And I have two more quick quotes. Due to gender discrimination, listen to this, men tend to advance in their career merely on the potential they exhibit, 
whereas actual performance determines how far women in technology proceed in their respective career. I think that's shocking. I really, really do. As current At current advancement rates, it will take 100 years for women in tech and non-technical roles to reach parity with men at the C-level. Okay, let's just leave it there. So I'm going to be talking with, raise your hand and wave, Lisa Della Stan, Sandro De Christopher. Lisa, it's been years. I'm so happy to see you. Delighted to have you on. Lori Rosano, I just met you 12 minutes ago. Can't wait to hear from you. Debbie Scott, same from you. Hi, Debbie. And Kylie Woods. Hello, Kylie. There she is smiling. I'm going to ask them for their take on the future of women in tech. Time to smash the glass ceiling. And I'm going to answer that. Heck Yes. Okay. <laughs> Let's go around the. T- you can tell I'm a little enthusiastic about this. Let's go around the table. Lisa, I'm putting you on full screen speaker view. Would you do me the honor, please, of introducing yourself? Remind me what you've done in the years since we've spoken, which is about five years. Tell everybody out there in our global audience what you do and why is this topic important? Do you remember there's a three minute rule, but we're not kicking you off if you do three minutes and five seconds. After that, all bets are off. Okay. Go ahead, Lisa. Welcome. So Bonnie, so excited to be back. I love the last show that we did and really excited about the topic. Uh, for those of you in the audience, my name is Lisa D'Alessandro Christopher. I'm the National Vice President and I lead the North American Industry Advisory Practice here at SAP. We delight our customers by helping them change and do business transformation. And it's been an amazing job and amazing trip at SAP. Since we last spoke, I'm the first woman that's ever held this position at SAP. So I love the fact that we're talking about the glass ceiling and where we're moving. I remember the early days like you, I'm a woman in tech for 26 years when you would go to a meeting and you'd be the only woman not serving coffee. The good news is, is we've come a long way, but we still have some work to do. So I'm really excited to be here and hear from my panelists and you on how we can do together to make this a better journey for our women. Thank you, Lisa, the only woman not serving coffee. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Or would you please get this for me in the middle of a meeting, right? Remember those? Or would you? I, I think somebody once asked me to make copies. Seriously, seriously, I couldn't believe it. I, I'm a drummer. I've become a drummer in the past years and I had my own band and we were playing in my garage. We do a lot of garage bands during COVID here in, in my community in Durham. And one of the guys in the band walked up to me and said, Bob just dropped in and he's going to sing such and such a song. Here's his music. Go make copies. <laughs> I, I said, Ex- excuse me, uh, this is my house. This is my band this is my garage. My drum. You, you want me to, you ordered me in my, uh, I'm sorry. It just, it reeked of something that we all remember, doesn't it, ladies? Yes. Okay, let's go around the table now. Lee, Lori Rosano, so happy to have you. Lori, tell us who you are. What do you do? Why are you here? Talk to me. Bonnie, thank you. I'm really excited to be here today with you all. Um, Lori Rosano, I'm a COO at SAP for our West Market Unit. And I'm really enthusiastic about today's discussion topic because I do feel, especially over the last uh, couple of years, We have all professionally and personally transformed quite a bit. And we're right now in a really exciting place to focus on diversity and inclusion. And my my hope, my aspiration is that diversity and inclusion becomes a sustainable strategy that is no different than any other business initiative that we all hold ourselves accountable for. And candidly, we all have to roll up our sleeves and we all have to commit to doing the work here. Absolutely. Thank you very much. And that's the important part. Do you have the skills? Do you have the knowledge? Do you have the willingness to work? Not just the potential. If you're already doing the work, why can't you go up that ladder? We forgot about the ladder. Is there a ladder anymore? Well, if there's a glass ceiling, 
it's holding somebody back somehow. And that's what we want to talk about, getting rid of, for goodness sake. We're not going to talk about all the discrimination cases in Silicon Valley in the past few years. I know that's a whole other topic, but we're going to approach it from where can we go to make it better. Let's continue around the table. Debbie Scott, so happy to meet you. Debbie from Capgemini. Sounds hey, like a thanks. song. Sounds like a song. We got to write. It does. We, should, yeah, we should make a song. We can we can do it in your band. Um, we will. So yeah, so thank you so much. Happy to be here today. Um, so uh, I'm a vice president in the SAP practice for Capgemini. Um, like you, um, I'm a, kind of an early starter as being a woman in tech. So I have over 32 years of experience in the in the tech field. Um, I spent uh, 16 years in the semiconductor industry, so again, very male-dominated field. Um, and for 13 of those years, I was VP and CIO. Um, and um, you know, again, very—I um, was in my 20s at that time, and so yeah, very male-dominated field. Also went to SAP for about 10 years. I'm in a variety of leadership positions, um, and then ultimately here I am. So you know, obviously, being a woman in tech and being a woman in leadership for the majority of my career, this is obviously something I'm quite passionate about. Um, I've been very fortunate in some senses not to be on the receiving end of a lot of what I've seen out there. Um, but I also have a passion now that I'm sort of all these years into it to really help, you know, sort of not only draw some people, you know, women into technology, but to keep them here. I think that's an interesting point is a lot of times we see that women get into tech, but the stats show they don't stay for very long. Um, so happy to be here again. Thank you. Thank you. And that's a great point. Retention, getting the best talent. Isn't that what everybody, we talk about the talent wars where you get people in, they perform well, and then you lose them. And if it's women, you're losing, even if you had a DNI policy and it's effective, how do you retain them? What's yeah. the culture? We're talking about culture. We're talking about change management. We're not just talking about diversity. We're talking about accepting people and welcoming them and making them feel like they are entitled to contribute. Welcome to contribute. Entitled is a word I should not have used. Kylie Woods, welcome. Let's. You're an entrepreneur. You got your own company. Let's hear from you. Welcome. I'm to be here, Bonnie. Thank you for having me. I'm the founder and executive director of Chic Geek. We're a nonprofit committed to building gender diversity in technology. And specifically, we serve mid-career women in tech because, like Debbie mentioned, our research has also shown that women at an intermediate stage in their careers are most likely to leave tech companies and tech careers largely because they don't see a clear path to advancement. So that's why this topic is so exciting for me today. It's estimated that a million women are leaving technology roles. And if we could reduce attrition by just one quarter, it could keep 220,000 women in science, engineering, and technology roles. And this is something that all companies need to be investing in because the average cost of turnover in technical roles is $144,000 per employee. So this is an expensive problem to solve. But it's not all about, you know, the numbers. Isolation, loneliness, lack of belonging. We've talked about being the only woman around the table. That's a challenge that many women are facing. And we see that at Sheet Geek. It's also largely the reason why I started Sheet Geek. I was getting into tech and building my career in this space, was looking for other women like me and couldn't find them. So I built a community to bring us together and it has just grown from there. Kylie, 
Very impressive. Ladies, are we impressed? This is, I can't remember who referred you to me, Kylie. Whoever they are, thank you. A woman I know said, I have somebody perfect for you. I have a lot of connections, obviously, for the show. And you are absolutely very, very interesting. I remember taking a job um, in Manhattan. I was, I'm a New Yorker, if you couldn't tell. And I remember taking a job and having a, something like a six-hour interview with a very powerful male interviewer. He was a consultant for the company, big name company. I'll tell you all after the show, three parts to what they did. Jewelry, beauty, hair, you can figure it out. Anyway, uh, the point was that I took the job. I was very excited. And soon after I realized that every program I was coding, everything I did was being abended, which is a polite word for aborted, in the in the room, in the uh, c computer room. Everything I did was being tanked, and I got the message very quickly that something was very, very wrong there. They were railroading me out soon after I got in, right in my face. I know, Debbie, it was. So I took my lunch hours, and I went all over Manhattan looking for other jobs on two-hour lunch hours because I had some freedom there, and I interviewed at a whole bunch of companies. At that point, Getting into tech jobs was so grueling that I was being given tests during these interviews with stuff that was so deep. And I was an experienced programmer by then. I had many years. I knew my stuff. I could, I could code anybody under the table in multiple languages. I knew how to put something together. These, these tests in these interviews were so extreme, I was leaving almost in tears. No, you never let them see you cry. We know that girls, but any ladies, but my point is that I ended up, uh, I ended up getting a really great job somewhere else. But the point was that I put in my notice and the day I put in my notice, they said, leave your things. We don't want you. We don't trust you. Get out of here. Your two weeks notice. We don't want it. They gave me a cardboard box said, take your stuff home and get out of here. They fired me the day I was leave, giving my notice. It was one of the most miserable. It was a big company, but for some reason, they hired me and then they wanted me out. And I never figured out why everything was tanking. It was an insult to my tech woman brain that nothing was working. So anyway, oh, this brings back so many memories. Let's go to the opening quotes, ladies. I have asked each of you to find a quote from a fictional TV or movie character or a song lyric that has nothing to do with women in tech. And you're going to tell me how it does. So Lisa D'Alessandro D. Christopher. I think I said it right. Finally, Lisa, that's a big name there. I want to see your business card. The quote is from Noah Duke Calhoun, played by Ryan Gosling, the movie The Notebook, 2004 American Romance drama film directed by Nick Cassavetes, blah, blah, blah. Teenage lumber mill worker Noah Calhoun, Ryan Gosling, and heiress Allison Alley Hamilton, Rachel McAdams, fall in love in the 40s. We're going to leave it there. Here's the quote. So it's not going to be easy. It's going to be really hard. And we're going to have to work at this every day. Wow, what a quote. Lisa, tell us how you found this or how somebody found it with you. We know the story. We know the backstory. I'll do a shout out to her in a minute. And what does this have to do with our topic? Lisa, go. So this is an amazing quote, and it has so many parables to today's conversation around women in technology. Because in this movie, what, when Noah is you know, saying this quote, he asked Rachel Adams to imagine her life and ask her what she wants. And she really struggles with this question. And I think this is a you know, real life scenario that we see so many women in technology being unable to answer. They don't look and see how they want to enter the workforce. You know, men and women enter the workforce with the same parables, but we bring with us conscious and unconscious biases on how we were grown, where we went to school, things that we have in our value system, where I think that really starts to create a void between our vision and our strategy and what we envision for ourselves and the road and path that we set out for ourselves. So when I look at this quote, it makes me, reminds me that while we've come a long way, 
there's still a lot of work to be done. And then every day is that there's opportunities and challenges. And I work for an amazing woman and she has a wonderful quote. She says, you need to step up, don't look up and not be afraid to take chances. You know, don't always ask for permission. And I think it goes right back to the quote in the movie where it says, what do you want in your life? Imagine your life. Are you ready to take what it needs, do what it needs to do to achieve that goal? And I think it's going to be hard. We're going to have to work every day, but it's going to be worth it. Thank you. What a beautiful quote. I have to watch the movie. I think it was a little too heart pounding for me, but I will I will watch it. I'm out of French detective shows to binge on right now. So <laughs> that might be on my list. Okay, let's go to Lori Rosano, a quote from The Lion King, 2019 American musical drama film. The last thing I think of is it being a musical, but it certainly was. I saw it on Broadway. Unbelievable. Yep. Just what an experience. That was before the words were, well, I'm having an experience. This was an experience. So Lion King, directed and produced by John Favreau. I wasn't aware of that. Um, let's see, let's see. Did you know that the principal photography was done on a blue screen stage in Los Angeles in 2017? How really, really cool. The Lion King is one of the most expensive films ever made. The budget was $260 million. And it became the seventh highest grossing film of all time and the second highest grossing of 2019. In case we're looking at numbers, here's the quote. While others, this is Mustafa, voiced by James Earl Jones. I won't attempt to, I can't, I can't do that voice. While others search for what they can take, a true king, can we substitute another word for that? Searches for what he can give. Lori, talk to me. So two, two things why this is really important to me. So The Lion King is absolutely one of my very favorite movies. Um, Lisa, The Notebook is also on the list. So, um, and aside from, from the day job, one of my lifelong passions is really focused on animal advocacy. And I do a lot of work with legislators really promoting different types of um, legislation that is for both humans and animals. So I had an opportunity to do a solo trip to Africa uh, to study and observe. So it was just really beautiful. And to your point, Bonnie, um, uh, it was in New York City, went to see it on Broadway. I probably watched The Lion King religiously a couple of times every year just to decompress. So it takes me in a good, a good heart and mind space. So pointed to this discussion topic is something that's very important to me. And um it's, it's centered around leadership, and I do not feel that leadership is ever granted by title. So it is really earned the hard way, and it's by doing the work. It's by making mistakes. It's about being vulnerable, and it's about having a really genuine concern and respect for the people that you have a privilege to lead and be a part of their teams. So one thing is I look at professionally and personally, the different things that, you know, make me me and that light me up is really around acts of service. So when you're in a leadership position and you have an opportunity to be influential in somebody's career, their journey, their experiences, um, it's really for me has always been about connecting your heart and your mind because you can be decisive, you can be determined, you can be successful, but you also can be compassionate. So when you look at that, I say, you know, across the board, whether it's Mother Nature, whether it's your current organization, whether it's your personal network, your interactions, you have an opportunity to leave your fingerprints. And my hope is, is that you always, you make a purposeful, impactful imprint, but you leave it better than you found it. Thank you. And I like that what lights you up. And I think that goes to the question a lot of people ask today is what's your why? Mm -hmm. Can we do that? Yeah. You know what my why is, ladies? It's talking to people like you. 
hearing your experiences, your insights, your the way you live your lives. That's what inspires me. That's what lights me up. That's why I, I do radio. That's why I have created 55 radio series in the past 12 years and never missed a day hosting any of them. So that's why you're here today because you feed my spirit and I appreciate you. That's just a little sidebar. Debbie, are you okay now? I know she's dealing with some, some alarm issues. You're still, you want to go or you want me to wait for you? Yep. Nope, I'm back. So much. Okay. I just went off in my house, but my, my son fixed it. So I'm back. Good. Well, thank you to your son. Tell him we send our gratitude. So <laughs> Debbie Scott's quote is, uh, this is from Michael Scott, played by Steve Carell, to Dwight Kurt Schrute III, played by Rain Wilson. Of course, The Office, season two. The episode was The Fight, November 1st, 2005. And the American mockumentary sitcom TV series aired on NBC from 2005 to 2013. Only 201 episodes, nine seasons seen by, this episode was seen by 7.9 million viewers. And here's the quote. Oh, I love this one, Debbie. Would I rather be feared or loved? Easy, both. I want people to be afraid of how much they love me. Damn, that's good. Debbie, go ahead. <laughs> yeah. So just a little funny backstory there. So my youngest son is named Michael Scott, but he was Michael Scott before Michael Scott from The Office. So my son actually has that T-shirt. Um, so why did I pick that quote? Um, so, so one for me, humor is a big part of you know, how I just kind of bring things, you know, in, in life, but also in business. I've, I've used humor as a way to just sort of diffuse situations, you know, when things are sort of getting tense or, you know, people are getting, you know, too emotional or thinking, you know, the, you know, this is the end of the world kind of thing. And so I like to use, you know, humor. But the quote and the, the thing that I love about Michael Scott at the office is Michael Scott is like the epitome of everything a leader should not be. He breaks every rule. He says every wrong thing. You know, at times he objectifies women. And it's just funny that, uh, you know, I, I watch it obviously for the, the comedic humor. But, you know, strangely, there have been some some episodes where I'm like, damn, I've seen that happen in real life. <laughs> so, yes, that's my quote. Thank you very much. Very interesting. I had a very fearsome female boss at one company. Fearsome. Is, are people nodding? You, you understand that? Yes. Oh, yeah. She started out as what we used to call, this is, I think, a forbidden word today, a secretary. She advanced to secretary to the president, then to vice president of the company. She ruled HR. She ruled every person in the company, and she excelled at making people cry in the halls. This was a bank in New York. No matter what you did, who you were, you were demeaned, you were derided. I was told the first day I started work there, you either accept a 3% raise for this year or you will never get a raise as long as you work for this company ever in your entire career. Every year, she trashed my review papers by HR. I did not get one review in five years. It was the most amazing thing. She ran the company so well that the banking commission shut them down a few years after I left. I kid you not, it was unbelievable watching, watching this powerful person climb, break the glass ceiling. She put it underneath her feet and made sure nobody, men, women, children, or, or, uh, or goldfish would ever get past it. It was, it was I, I wish somebody had studied it in the press. It was long ago and far away. But Lisa, this was some experience in working for a boss. If I left at 4.57 p.m. after getting there at seven in the morning, I had a note on my desk, where were you? Everything I wrote was redlined. They fired the writer for the annual report and told me I was writing it. 
they fired the director for the they made me go on the photo shoots for the you know the Mont Blanc pen that you have to blow the dust off 15 times before the photograph gets it I had to go on those shoots in downtown New York they fired the coordinator for the banking president events and I was running events from New York for bank presidents and their wives in Miami on fancy cruise ships and I was hiring bands I was never allowed to go it was the most I was writing a newsletter for the company five days a week and I didn't get a review in five years because I was always on the edge of being told you're gone it was the most amazing thing and I learned I learned so much I'm a crackerjack editor now because I learned from the way she edited all my stuff so we can take stuff and we can give stuff back or we can just take stuff in the face. But I took a lot of learning from this woman, as powerful and mean as she was. The power went to her head. Anyway, very interesting story. Who am I up to now? We are up to the quote from Kylie Woods. Kylie is a song from I Was Here by Beyonce, who is in the news every single minute of every day now. Go look on Twitter. Go look on everywhere. The album was titled The Number Four. The year was 2011. And the song is I Was Here. Here is the line. The hearts I have touched will be the proof that I leave, that I made a difference, and the world will see I was here. Kylie, beautiful. Talk to us. This is my power song. So when I need an uplift moment, when I'm feeling scared, nervous, like I can't do something, I put this on repeat and it gets me through because it reminds me that there is a social drive to the work that I'm doing and it helps me show up when times are really hard, that there is an impact beyond myself that I am working to achieve and that matters. But it's also a reminder that speaks to one of the biggest struggles I have, which is to remind myself that I am good enough. So when I hear the line, I was here, it tells me in three words that I am good enough, I was here that it's not only about how I perform at work, but it's other hearts that I have touched along the way. So my family, my friends, those relationships, they matter just as much. And I was here. Thank you. Well, you certainly are. Uh, you're all here. That's a beautiful line. Bravo. Thank you very much. Ladies, I want to thank you for doing the work. Uh, I used to ask my guests to send me famous people quotes. And I will tell you after years of listening to the same quotes from Churchill, Gandhi, Einstein, <laughs> Twain, Maya Angelou, we all love her. Um, I was falling asleep on my own show. So about two years ago, I said, we're going to change this up. I can't be falling asleep on the air. We need to go into pop culture. Send me a quote from a song, from a movie, from a TV show. And you know, people are quoting The Wizard of Oz from 1939. They're quoting, oh my goodness, they're still quoting Back to the Future. They're quoting movies that are 30, 40 years old. Sunset Boulevard, somebody quoted recently, but it's Gone with the Wind. It's wonderful because it gets us thinking out of the box on what do we really want to say. So I want to thank the four of you. Your quotes were fabulous. Let's go to the predictions. We got plenty of time. We still have almost a half hour left. So I've picked one prediction from each of you. Kylie, yours is in the chat right now. I just put it in. Just take a look. I will read your prediction. I'll ask you to unpack it. Take about three minutes. If anybody wants to comment on somebody else's prediction, wave one of your polite fingers at me. You know which ones those four are, please. Let's be nice. And I will call on you. Otherwise, I will move on. And when we're finishing this round, I'll put another prediction for each of you in the chat. So just so the audience knows, yes, we are doing this. So let's go to Lisa, D'Alessandro, to Christopher, and I'm going to your prediction number one, reducing gender bias. 
will require looking at the full span of entry points into your organization, from the job description to keeping the door open for women who step back from their careers to return to work. This is huge, Lisa. Why don't you unpack it for us, please? It is huge. And it's kind of ironic that Kylie's uh, quote was, I was here because I was here is actually one of the challenges we're having with women in the workplace right now, especially those that were displaced because of COVID. You know, we use data at SAP and we estimate there's over 2 million women less in the workforce today than there were in 2020. And this is a tragedy. And just think about the, the lack of career advancement that those women would have missed out on and how do we attract and retain and bring those women back. As a leader at SAP, I've had to really look at our own practices on what do we do to bring in new talent into the business and make sure that we're being inclusive, right? You know, so often when we go through recruiting and we're looking for talent, we're trying to attract and retain women into the technology industries. Our recruiters look at their current work experience. And if there's nothing in the last 12 months, they're immediately eliminated. So we've had to use different methods to make sure that we're looking at the woman's total career history, that we're being open and inclusive with our career and development practices on attracting new talent. And even in our interviewing processes, like we've changed the testing. I love the fact that you even mentioned that there were tests back in the day to get a job, right? That is just unheard of. People wouldn't even apply if they had to take a test. But there are, needs to be other methods of assuring that we can bring people back, bring them back in a way that's meaningful, help them have their return or shipper, restart their career path, and not start from the beginning. Start from where they were when they left and help them get the skills that they need so they can make up for the last two years. And I see a lot of that in our hiring practices now even when we bring people on, how we interview people, making it more inclusive, asking them for relative work experience. So to me, I think this is an area that we need to double down on because it's the new glass ceiling that we never thought about. It's not just attaining that next position. It's actually even being in the game to be considered for the position based on what's happened to you. You know, I know myself, you know, I'm not dealing with small children, but I'm dealing with aging parents, you know, people who have been left the workforce to take care of parents during the COVID you know, epidemic have to come back to have wonderful skills. And so I think it's just an area that we see that's new for us in terms of how we're recruiting and making sure that we're being inclusive in our hiring practices. So I was here, I need to come back and still be here, right? Thank you, great point. Any comments? Nobody has to, I'm just asking. This reminds me, Lisa, of a wonderful French detective show called Candice Renoir. And the actress Cécile Bois plays Candice, who took 10 years off to raise four children and then was divorced. And she's a detective and she comes back in and they laugh at her behind her back, how she dresses, how she talks, how she analyzes a case. This woman is an unbelievably sharp, insightful detective. She unravels murder mysteries like nobody else. And over time, her team comes to respect her and love her one even falls in love with her but the point is that she has to win back and the story is this woman took 10 years off we're not talking about tech but in a way we are because everything changed they said what here's a laptop you got it she said what well we, we weren't using these when i left 10 years ago so there's an element of new to tech in there but it's fascinating she had to win them back and the way they talked about her oh, the jokes the derision Oh my, and she was good to begin with. Anyway, I digress. Let's go on. Lori Rosano, I'm looking at prediction number two. You say fostering equal pay and pay transparency will become an expectation, not a nice to have. Yes, Lori, go ahead. Yeah, so this one's important to, to me and I would like to underline transparency. So I do think over the course of the years and the work that we've invested here and that we're dedicated doing is around equal pay. 
So in my experience, I've been on the other side of um, a lot of different you know, roles of which we're looking, we're actively interviewing and staffing teams. And I will tell you that um, men will, will voluntarily tell you how much they make, and they will also tell you what they won't uh, consider for the role. And that's just starting the beginning of the discussion. Um, working with women, especially in different type of fellowship or mentorship type of relationships, it's interesting because women, I used to do it, will just say, ah, if it's within the range of, um, it would be okay if, or I, I apologize, is that too much? So, so there's a lot of hesitation. And I, and I noticed earlier on in my career, and I got great coaching from fantastic mentors, both men and women, that said, Rosano, show up, right? Declare what you're worth. You have the expertise, you have the experience. So be more deliberate in that conversation. So I'll tell you, it took a lot of work. Maybe I practiced in front of mirrors. Maybe I practiced my pitch with trusted resources. But I'll tell you that even now in this day, as we're looking to interview, I see that there is a gap that we have to actively actively solve. And that's not, and that onus is not on the person that's necessarily interviewing for that position. So when I look at organizations, we have an opportunity and it goes back to the overall readiness. Is an organization ready for diversity and inclusion? Because it is seated in every motion. It's not just one individual's role. It's not just the HR partner's job. It is all of us on the leadership team. It is ingrained in, in the, you know, the CEO, the board, et cetera. So for fostering, you know, equal pay, um, there's work to do there. And I think a lot of it too, is just building the confidence to ask for what you feel is equity and, and equal pay into that realm, but it makes us uncomfortable. And even with internal assignments, and I've noted this too, the difference of, you know, our male and female colleagues, males will be considered to make a, you know, maybe it's even a um, transition into an internal role, not even external. And they will ask right away, well, is there going to be a salary increase? It could be the same job, same responsibility. Women will just say, oh my gosh, I'm so grateful for this position. It's a new assignment. It's a new tour of duty. So anyways, we have work to do there. And I talk from my experience because I've had to strengthen that muscle and candidly just being more confident to say, this is what, it's not just a pay range. This is what I'm asking for. Thank you very much. Very, very true. Um, pay has been something we were told not to talk about, right? You don't share your salary information. It's almost like sharing, I don't know, anything that you did physically that's on your medical chart that's HIPAA protected. You don't tell people about it. It's considered bad manners, bad business. But if you don't, how will you know if you don't see these charts, these lists, if you don't see these statistics, how will you know what you're, I'm going to say something terrible, Lori. How will you know what you're supposed to, what you're allowed to be worth, <gasps> what you're allowed to be worth on a pay scale? How will you know if people aren't telling you what, what the pay is? And so many jobs today are posted and says to be determined or not disclosed. Why? Why? Should I even bother? Am I applying for an internship at five bucks an hour? Am I applying for a decent job? So that's that's a very interesting area. Let's move on. I'm going to Debbie. Debbie Scott, I'm looking at your prediction number three. Let me read this in the area of IT information technology. The talent war is here to stay. Companies that will win will not only need to pay higher wages, but demonstrate superior corporate culture. I'm going to stop there, Debbie, and let you finish unpacking it. Go ahead. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so I think basically 
what the pandemic created was an environment where a lot of people, you know, kind of had an existential, you know, moment, if you will. Um, and, you know, to Lori's point about, you know, equal pay and whatnot, certainly that that's part of it. I and mean, that's got to be addressed because there is an absolute talent work going on right now. Um, and but there's more than just the, the the pay and equity part of it. I think also what people are demanding now is work home life balance. Right. A true sense of focus on burnout. It's a real thing. And the associated mental health issues. That was always a very taboo subject. Don't don't talk about it. God forbid, you know, you'd say I'm burned out or this is causing me like a mental crisis. I've had a lot of people that came to me, um, you know, confidentially during the pandemic and, you know, men and women alike saying that this was really causing them to have, you know, mental health issues. Um, and just also, I think, a focus on employee motivation and recognition. Um, I've, I'm, I'm a very big person on feedback, recognition, don't leave somebody guessing. But I've noticed along the way in many organizations, it's viewed as, well, I'm not going to say something positive to this person because, well, then they're going to take their foot off the gas or they're going to get too big of a head or, you know, potentially to Lori's boy, maybe they're going to ask for more money. Um, and that's just wrong. I think positive feedback is truly motivating. And I think also with with women, I think that's what leads women in the technology field sometimes to say, I'm, I'm done with this. You know, I'm not getting the recognition. I don't feel like I'm motivated. I don't really see, you know, the growth for me. So it's going to have to be the total package, in my opinion, to really retain, you know, and attract all this talent. Acknowledgement. When I worked for Chase Manhattan Bank, when it was downtown near the World Trade Center on Wall Street, they used to have when you or your team won, uh, achieved something, uh, a special sales goal or whatever. I was in marketing and I created the Chase Global News, by the way, which was a newsletter I created on a wide body printer. It was a print. I forget the name, but hammerhead printer. I had them buy me one and I created it and I created a wacky wordy puzzle one square at a time. And I did the whole thing in Quark and I wrote articles under bylines and I, I did fake advertisements internally. It was a it was a real newspaper. No kidding in chase. Anyway, when your team achieved something, it was interesting. A coffee cart was rolled up to your desk, your area, and they had coffee and donuts, crullers, whatever the fashion was. And you got, a, I still have one. It's a little paperweight and it's a green marble, just like the, the Chase logo used to be with your, the name of your team on it imprinted on the top. But I will tell you, and this is going to probably shock you, Kylie, I'm going to get to your statement in a second. I was taken aside one day. I was the first one at work at 730. I left Great Neck at 615. I had some friends pick me up on the train, walk from the station to, to Chase. I was taken aside one day and told that they didn't like the way I dressed at work because instead, I know, I know Debbie, my silk scarf, instead of being inside my suit jacket was tied around my hair. And I sometimes had a couple sparkles on my jacket. Now the women there were wearing thousand dollar suits to work. These were high powered women, high powered people. My boss was a guy from who worked at Pitney Bowes before I'm allowed to say it. I don't remember his name and his shirt was always untucked and he always had his jacket off. Well, they told him to come to me and say I needed to get special coaching from HR in how to dress. Told me that I really wasn't allowed to put a scarf in my I was the first one on the floor at 730. I worked 12 hour days. I had a two hour commute each way from Long Island. I worked my ass off. I did stuff nobody else was doing. And I was told I also uh, was told that one of the women was told to take me behind the barn basically at six o'clock one night before I left. And she said, you're in trouble. They don't like how you dress. I know. Wow. 
I know no matter how much I did, no matter how well I performed, no matter how much I contributed, I was doing events for executives at the Greenbrier, hiring people to do where you the light shows where they spray the oil in the air. I was hiring light show producers of a very high level to come and entertain the executives at the I never got to go, of course, but they told me they didn't like how I dressed and I wasn't going to be successful. Debbie, comment. I just wanted to make one comment to that because it reminds me of a moment that happened to me early on in my career. Um, I was preparing for what we call the live def, def, uh, test demonstration for the government. And one of the consultants pulled me aside and I'm like three years into my career. And he said, male consultant, he said, you would do yourself a favor to pull your hair back and wear it in a severe bun and get yourself a pair of fake glasses. Yeah. What? Yeah. The hell with the scarf and the sparkles. Kylie is in shock. Kylie wasn't alive with somebody. I think I can say that. She doesn't even know this stuff existed. Debbie, seriously, what was your response, Debbie Scott? What did you say? My response was, I am who I am. This is the way I look. I'll take my chances in my career, you know, not being judged on my appearance. And, you know, thankfully, that's not been a blocker for me. Yeah. Wow. Kylie, have you recovered from your shock? Can I go to you? No. (laughs) Kylie is the... Kylie, you're, you're coming in late to the scene after all of this has happened. Lisa is shaking her head. Yeah, we know. It was, it was an interesting time to be working back then. Even for huge companies, there were so many value judgments. The culture was not conducive. It was, it was just really where you were judged in so many ways. It had nothing to do with performance. I've always been an extremely high worker. I was told at one company in another bank, I was excelling too much. I was working too hard. I was a one-woman team, and I had to bring my, I'm not kidding, Debbie, I was instructed by the CEO to bring the quality of my work down from 110% to 85%, go out and go to a job fair and hire a team of eight people to work underneath me and train them all to come up to at least a 90% success level in the team because uh, they didn't like that I was performing so well. I, I kid you not. I was told, lower your standards, open your door, become a team leader. And I said, but I'm, I'm working my ass off here. And they said, no, that's what we want. We want you to lower your standards. And to do that, you're going to have to bring. So I don't know whether that was a lesson in leadership or that was a lesson in, damn, you're too much for us. I'm not sure where it was coming from. But anyway, it was weird and it didn't feel particularly good. And I did hire eight people and I did become a leader and it was really weird. Anyway, let's go to Kylie. Kylie, prediction number three. This is interesting. Technology skills will increasingly become offshored or automated. Uh Uh-oh, leaving a higher demand for essential skills and emotional intelligence. Well, this is interesting. Kylie, talk to us. You know, we're already seeing a lot of this happening. There are teams in the Philippines, Vietnam, India that are building technology. And so the in-demand skills that we're really seeing in North America are around leadership, management, communication, ability to inspire and motivate a team. And so we're going to start seeing, you know, job postings. And we are, of course, already, but we're going to see it even taking a step further, really focusing on these, I, I hate calling them soft skills because that's often been associated with like, you know, oh, you're, you're nice to someone or, you know, it's, they're very, and often associated with things that women do. So I I prefer to call them essential skills because that's really what they are. They're essential in how we operate in the workday, but we're going to see more focus placed on that. And I think that's the opportunity for women to move into more leadership positions because the things that we bring to the table will be a lot more valued now going forward. I'm just, I have a pit in the bottom of my stomach listening to some of these experiences and my jaw dropping open as I'm hearing them. I can't believe it. And, you know, I think it reminds us that we have 
a lot of things to fight for. And this is our, our rally cry that we all need to be stepping up, not just women. We need allies, companies to be committing to that change. Thank you very much. Very, very points very well taken. Um, I'm going to say from some of my personal experiences here in my community, I'm not going to get into details, but boy, have I got some fire stories here. Um, I think that it's more of a, it's a cultural thing that's outside the workplace that goes in. Am I right, Lisa? It's the people who go to work in these companies and how they're living their lives, how they feel about women in leadership, strong women, type A's, people who are independent. Uh, I've literally been spat in my face and told after leading a group of 25 people that I was not a team player and I had to get out of the room after I had People didn't want to leave after two hours. Something I was doing it was extracurricular, and not in a workplace, but in community. And I was told, "You're not a team player." And I said, "Well, well I just 25 people just signed up for my event, and they don't even want to go home. It's 9:30 at night. You're not a team player." I was almost spat on, and it was a guy, and he apparently doesn't like women who know how to get done. I said the word. Anyway, very, very interesting. I think we have time for a round two of predictions. Let's make these really tight. Lisa, I'm going to prediction number two for you. Companies, this is interesting, with innovation-centric cultures, we'll see more recruiting and hiring of people who don't fit in. How appropriate is that, Lisa? Talk to us. And I think this goes back to the comment I was making before about, you know, you have to have a strong and inclusive culture, but I think sometimes we bring these unconscious biases that a person has to look a certain way, have a certain set of credentials to be considered for a position. And I think as leaders, you know, the smart leaders learn early on that you need diversity of thought. And so you have to be open to look at people as individuals and really evaluate what does that person bring to the team? Not does that person look like everyone else on the team? If everyone has the same mindset, then you have a one-dimensional environment. And I think women are, you know, multi-dimensional people. We have wonderful, amazing talent. Some of the things that you just mentioned about diversity and how to bring some of those softer skills, but it doesn't happen organically. I think it's really important now that when we look at hiring and attracting new talent, that we use uh, tactics that are inclusive. It's like going to the gym. If you go to the gym and you do the same workout every day, great. You know, your biceps might look great, but the rest of your body is atrophy because you're not exercising the full body. I think we have to exercise the full capability of bringing talent into the workforce and not looking at, do they fit, but what do they do to make our team better? I know even my own leadership team, I have four amazing leaders. They're all completely diverse in their thought and their experiences and their background. And together, the results of our collaboration are so much stronger than if we all had the same mindset. It would certainly be a lot easier because everybody would be following and you'd be the dictator, but you actually are leaving money on the table and you're not growing as a company. So I think the companies that have that inclusive culture that are not afraid to have diversity on their team and really emphasize, and I think, Lori, you said it best, it has to be a commitment from everybody, the CEO, the hiring manager, the HR department, and even the people that show up that it's okay to be different, right? as long as you're part of the team. And I think team is to me about creating that common shared vision and hiring the best people to execute on it. So uh, no spinning over here, Bonnie, but you know, <laughs> definitely looking at it through a different lens and making sure we show up every day to empower people to think differently. Thank you. And thinking differently, it has to come from the top, doesn't it, Lisa? It has to come from the, the leader, the founder, the, the C-suite. Somebody has to raise that flag, wave that banner and say, this is how we're going to run this company. This is how we're going to embrace people. This is how we're going to hire. And you need to get on board. What happens to the people who say no? 
that's a whole other topic, right? What happens to people who say, no, I don't believe in diversity. I don't want multiple viewpoints. I don't want multiple cultures. I don't want people who don't look and sound like me. Oh my, whole different topic. We don't have time for that. Let's go to Lori. <laughs> Predi- I, ladies, would you like to come back for part two in the fall? Because I, would Love you? That. Yeah, because yes. we've got so much to talk about. I, I, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to turn this into a bitch and moan session, but God, it just brings out so many experiences. People weren't talking about what I went through in my earlier career. And a lot of you probably, nobody was writing. I prayed for a reporter to find out about this woman vice president who had a lot of mink coats and a lot of long dresses and a lot of fancy purses by the time she went to become the senior vice president of the company before they shut it down. Anyway, I prayed for somebody to report and and write about what she was doing to ride people into the ground. And Nobody was paying attention to it back then. It was just the way business in some companies was done. Let's go to uh, who we got. Lori, you're up next. Lori, prediction number one. More companies will actively invest and engage in programs that support diversity, not just gender diversity. This is where we're going to go. But programs dedicated to advancing all underrepresented minorities. Lori, two minutes. Go. Yeah, so to build on where, where Lisa left off, which is really important, is so diversity, we know, is not just gender specific. So when you look at organizations that really want to infuse and invest in talent, um, when you're focused on what I'm a big fan of is centered around internships, fellowships, early professional programs, re-entry programs, that's where you get a cross-pollination of the diversity that you're seeking. And I would, I would reiterate, it's my own experience, right? I've, I've, I've learned through this a little bit, but I think a lot of us at times will say, well, let's make sure that they're a cultural fit. And I would just like to express here, that's a very risky statement and idea because essentially what you're saying is, I want them to look just like everybody else here. That is not diversity. Diversity, you want, you want the positive friction. You want, more importantly, not people that look the same, that have the same values that are aligned to the other organization or the mission. They're inspired by the same things. But the beautiful part about that is they're going to come from different walks of life, but they're going to approach it in a different way. So I've been really mindful when we look at, again, in an organization, it's it's the hiring, it's the recruitment, it's the accountability across the leadership team. Are people, or do they have, you know, are they been prepared to embrace what truly means diverse and, and inclusion? But a lot of it, too, is we got to stop saying, well, they've got to be a cultural fit because that means we've already put a little bit of a bias in terms of the candidate. And last comment, Bonnie, is even, and I'm stretching myself too, when you think about it, even opening up your own personal and professional network, your aperture. So the people, when you go look for talent, do you go back to the same companies? Do you go back to the same individuals that you used to partner with? So, and you wanna make sure you're going to maybe different schools, different programs, different areas. So that's where I think you get that beautiful, beautiful experience of more a diverse, you know, true diverse workforce. Thank you very much. Positive friction. I've never heard that before, Lori. That was an iconic moment. Look for that. I'm going to send you your own audio track. You got to post that somewhere. Positive (laughs) friction. We have just enough time for two more predictions. Debbie Scott, briefly, I've got your number two up. And Kylie, there's one in the chat for you as well. Debbie says, companies will be hyper-focused on supply chain, sustainability, and cybersecurity for years to come. This represents an area of opportunity for women in and looking to enter the field of technology. Ah, go ahead, Debbie. So I'm just going to make one comment before I get to that prediction. And so 
Um, just back to the comment about we don't mean to turn this into a bitch session and to Kylie's comment before about, you know, feeling alone and, you know, no one else is like me. I think it's, you know, not meant to be a criticism or a bitch session, but rather just I think it's very healthy for, you know, these things to come out and for people like Kylie to be able to hear about these stories, because I think, you know, it would tell some people out there are saying, geez, it's not just me, I'm not alone. And perhaps that's going to give them the internal fortitude to maybe overcome that. So I just wanted to put that out there. Yeah, relative to, you know, these focus areas. So again, the pandemic has done a lot of things. And I think the pandemic also has, you know, changed the way that companies are looking at their supply chains. It wasn't just the semiconductor industry that was impacted. It had a downward effect on, on everything. So all of a sudden supply chain, which is something like we only heard, you know, shows up in the news every day. Well, it's because of supply chain issues and whatnot. But it's also causing some, some amazing things to be happening. Things I didn't uh, think I'd see, like in the semiconductor industry, we see companies like Intel that are actually bringing, you know, wafer fabrication and semiconductor manufacturing back to the United States. We see our government investing in that type of thing because of the risk that that supply chain poses. So lots of great opportunities for women who are either in or thinking about that field. Um, sustainability, I mean, customers are demanding it. They're demanding it of, you know, the, the brands that they buy from. You've gotta be a sustainable brand, you know? So for those, you know, that have an interest in moving forward with that, and I know several people that have gone to college just for that kind of a, a job, um, I think that would be a great area to focus. You know, my personal favorite has always been security. Security is just, you got to do it, right? I mean, when I was a CIO, I mean, that was one of the things that always kept me up at night was some sort of a security breach. Now we'll look forward to all these advances in technology. Um, it's even worse, right? We see all, you know, these, these breaches coming, you know, we see ransomware happening. Um, and so that, that's a big deal. And for anyone that has, you know, the aptitude or the desire, I think the possibilities there will be endless. So I think those are key areas, you know, for women in tech as we move forward. Exciting. Nice expansion of the view of, of what tech will encompass. Kylie, I'm going to give you, you've got 45 seconds for this, but I can't close the show without this. And then we're going to close. And all ladies, I have a, a quick uh, homework assignment for you on the air. Kylie says, bespoke employee experiences will become a widely held expectation. Can you unpack that for me? I'll give you exactly one minute. Kylie, go. You know, as companies are building more diverse teams, it means that there's so many other histories, cultures, perspectives to account for. And talent is really looking for companies to say, I see you as an individual and the value you add. And here is the experience we're going to create for you. And, you know, to this point about positive friction that's kind of been echoed in a lot of the conversation it's going to require a lot of essential skills, compassion, understanding, active listening in order to make that friction work. So that's it for me. Thank you very much. We'll continue that one on part two. So much to talk about, ladies. Thank you very much. Shout out to you, Lisa, to you, Lori, to you, Debbie, to you, Kylie. Appreciate all of you. I am indebted to you for bringing your experiences and your insights to the show. A shout out to Stephanie Nashawadi, who was supposed to be with us, and she had a family emergency, couldn't make it, and she nominated Lisa to take her seat. And Lisa, thank you so much for stepping in on short notice. Jules Waxman, what would I do without Jules? Jules, help put this all together. Kelsey Pfeffer is with us. Us. In the background, Mara Muffler is with us. And of course, 
Patrick Moroni, the biggest cheerleader ever <laughs> existed in the face of the world on LinkedIn. And we have more people watching us on LinkedIn now than we've had in a long time. So Patrick, I know you're behind this and I thank you. Thank you to Gabe, my engineer. Okay, before we get kicked off the air, I wanna say, ladies, I want you to get your finger up to wag and you're gonna say no, no, no on the count of three. I have a question. People say the future is already here. And our answer is one, two, three. No, come on, ladies. No, no, no. no. You could do better than that. No, 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 no. That was yesterday's future. Today's future isn't here yet. Whoops, there it was after I stopped talking. It isn't here yet. And we're all going to work or do our best to make it happen. Bonnie D signing off. Ladies, don't go away. We'll pick a date for part two. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining us for Technology Revolution, the future of now. Mark your calendar to join host Bonnie D. Graham every Wednesday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel to hear how technology is impacting your future now.